What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. We usually have someone yelling here, but all of our yellers are not in today. But anyway, my name is Jared, and today we're joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew. Today we got our Marvel expert, Matthew. How's it going, Matthew? It is going excellent. Awesome. And today we have a special guest from the NerdSync channel. We got Scott. Scott, how are you, man? I am doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. No, great to have you. So Scott has been a friend of the channel for a while. He actually visited us in L.A. last October and watched. Do you remember what movie it was that you watched with us, Scott? It was Hocus Pocus. Yes, we did. We watched Hocus Pocus for Halloween, (laughs) which I had not watched in a very, very long time. And it was quite the nostalgia trip. But anyway, that is not the film we're talking about today, because today we're talking about Spider-Man Far From Home, the 2019 film directed by John Watts, starring Tom Holland. As always, we're going to go around the room and get first impressions, as I assume everyone has only seen this movie once, except maybe Matthew, because he sometimes sees movies twice in preparation for podcasts. But uh, what did you think of the movie? Let's start with Matthew. Okay, so I've got thoughts here. Any great Spider-Man story is necessarily going to explore the themes power and responsibility. It's easy to assume that the responsibility that goes alongside having superpowers is worth the trade-off just due to the pure joy of using those powers. But the best Spider-Man stories make having those powers and using them responsibly a genuine sacrifice for Peter, and Far From Home certainly does exactly that. That's what makes Peter Parker such a compelling character. Any dramatic piece of fiction needs to have the protagonist coming up against some impediment to getting what he wants. In most superhero movies, that's just the villain. But a great character study, like Far From Home, the real impediment, it's something internal to the character. For a tragic hero, it's usually like a fatal flaw like hubris. But Spider-Man, he's all the more tragic in that it's ultimately his virtue and his principles that stand in the way of getting what he wants. He's tempted to be irresponsible. And each time he does that, it actually brings him closer to courting MJ. It's when he keeps to his code and he does the right thing That's when it costs him everything. In Homecoming, foiling Vulture, that meant Liz had to move all the way across the country from Peter. In Far From Home, foiling Mysterio, it ultimately means Peter's secret identity is exposed and he's not going to have a normal relationship with MJ. Despite the seemingly happy ending before the credits, Far From Home is a tragedy and it would not be a real Spider-Man story otherwise. And it's also an excellent coda to the Infinity Saga as a whole. It's as much the end of Tony Stark's story that is a Spider-Man movie. The central question that the film asks, it's a metacinematic one. Who is going to take on the mantle of Iron Man as the main protagonist of the MCU? And importantly, the film doesn't give the easy answer that Spider-Man's earned his place as the heir apparent. Instead, it goes back to what Happy Hogan opines. Not even Tony Stark could live up to Tony Stark. The two MCU Spidey flicks are less about Peter taking Tony's place, and it's more about him cleaning up after Tony's mistakes. And Vulture and Mysterio are directly the result of Tony's mistakes. Even Iron Man's great power, it wasn't matched by equal responsibility. Great, great movies. And yes, I have seen them twice. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I take you liked it. I, I Very much so, yes. One of the best very Spider-Man cool. movies. Very cool. I really like what you said about how both of the villains are cleaning up Tony's mess. I had not thought about that. But uh, Scott, what did you think about the movie? Oh, man, I loved it so much. I don't know if you know this about me. I am a huge fan of Mysterio as a character. Uh, I made a whole video recently uh, about how the character of Mysterio influenced my life. Um, 
for, for like 15 years ago and to where I am now. It's all thanks to the character of Mysterio uh, from the Spider-Man 2 video game of all places. And it inspired me to look into things like uh, special effects and VFX and just work in the film industry. And that ultimately led me uh, to starting my own YouTube channel and led me to this podcast right now. Uh, so it's all thanks to Mysterio. And uh, I was so excited to see, to finally see Mysterio uh, on the big screen and didn't disappoint at all. Uh, I, I had a couple friends who were thinking that Mysterio was for sure going to have like actual real uh, superpowers. And, you know, I'm up for any sort of adaptation, changing whatever they need to change, whatever they feel they need to change to, to, to tell the story that they want to tell. But boy, was I happy when it was really just all holograms and drones and special effects. So I was like, yes, yes, yes. That's all I wanted. Uh, and so I was just absolutely thrilled uh, with seeing Mysterio uh, and having it be exactly everything that the, my childhood brain wanted it to be. Uh, and I'm seeing it again tonight, so I'm very excited about it. Very good movie. Oh, awesome. I'm really glad to hear that you know a lot about Mysterio, because I know next to nothing. All I knew was that he was the master of illusions, and just from watching mm -hmm. this movie, I was able to deduce that he's basically Marvel's Scarecrow. No? Yeah, certainly. Like, everything is uh, very much... Um, yeah, illusions and holograms and just messing with people psychologically and mentally, uh, which I thought was uh, really interesting themes of, like, truth throughout the movie. Like, what is truth? Mysterio kind of manufactures his own truth. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of elements of, like, what is real? What is, you know, what can you believe sort of a thing? And I hope we'll dive into that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I can't wait to talk more about that. I like the movie. I think that Tom Holland is probably the best Spider-Man we've ever had. Uh, I would only maybe question if maybe Tobey Maguire is as good, but I'm leaning more towards Tom Holland. I Actually, I think that Homecoming is probably my favorite MCU movie, and but I think that's also because I'm an old fuck and I love the John <laughs> Hughes illusions, and I kind of miss that in this one. But I liked the movie. I got to be honest, I don't know if I was ready for another Marvel movie after Endgame. It was just a little bit too soon for me, but I really like Spider-Man. I thought that the movie was solid, and yeah, I'm excited to talk more about it. Uh, so before we get into talking about the nitty-gritty, let's go into a recap. So Peter Parker and his classmates are going on a school trip to Europe where Peter plans on finally telling MJ how he feels about her. Before he leaves, Happy gives Peter a pair of Tony Stark's glasses called Edith that grant the wearer control of all Iron Man's high-tech defense protocols. Upon arrival in Venice, a water elemental appears and terrorizes the Venetians, only to be saved by a new caped hero, Mysterio, who claims to be from an alternate Earth that was destroyed by these elementals, the most powerful of which, Fire, will be attacking Prague in days' time. So, Peter, his classmates, and Mysterio head off to Prague. Peter and Mysterio team up to defeat the Fire Elemental, and Peter, wanting to stop being a hero so he can pursue MJ, decides to give Edith to Mysterio. Turns out Mysterio's entire backstory, along with the elementals themselves, are a sham. Mysterio is an ex-scientist at Stark Industries who created the digital projection technology that Tony uses for therapeutic purposes. Now he, along with his army of background scientists from other Marvel films, has repurposed the technology to create fake crises for him to defeat in order for him to become the new Iron Man, the new figurehead for people to worship. 
MJ tells Peter that she knows he's Spider-Man just about the time Peter figures out how he got scammed by Mysterio. Peter confronts Mysterio and learns that he's going to use Edith to stage a massive attack on London that will annihilate scores of the population. Peter is defeated by Mysterio's illusions, but with the help of Happy, he's able to get back to London and face Mysterio head-on. Using his spider sense, or Peter Tingle, he's able to see past the illusions, reclaim Edith, and defeat Mysterio. Peter finally tells MJ how he feels about her, and they become a couple. Back in New York, Peter sees a news report from the desk of J. Jonah Jameson detailing a video Mysterio sent out before his death, framing Peter for the attack and revealing Peter's identity to the world. End of movie. Alright guys, before we move on, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors over at HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit. It'll give you easy seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. All you got to do is cook and enjoy. They'll give you step-by-step -step recipes with pre-measured ingredients, so you'll have everything you need to get an awesome dinner on the table in just about 30 minutes. So you don't have to go to the grocery store, which I notoriously hate, and uh, you don't have to do takeout food, HelloFresh has got you covered. Um, they've got family recipes, calorie smart, vegetarian options, they've got all sorts of different menus for whatever your needs might be, and you can easily exchange your delivery days, food preferences, you can skip a week whenever you need, all of it is really easy to change. So uh, they sent me, they sent us over a big old box of food, and they had Persian chicken with roasted veggies. I'm going to be honest, my girlfriend made it because she doesn't let me in the kitchen anymore. But it took about 30 minutes, and it was really good. Uh, the Persian chicken was solid. They have the halal cart-style white sauce. That is very, very good. So, guys, if you want $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash Wisecrack80 and enter the promo code Wisecrack80. Again, for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash Wisecrack80 and enter the code Wisecrack80. And now, back to the show. All right, so I actually did not stay for the post-credits. Was there a post-credits scene? There was, yeah. Uh, so apparently the actor that you thought, well, the character that you thought was in the movie the whole time, Nick Fury, was not in the movie. That was Talos, uh, a scroll, And they give hints that, you know, the scrolls have sleeper cells all over the world. Uh, and so, yeah, Maria Hill and Nick Fury are revealed as scrolls at the end. Yeah, and then Nick Fury is somewhere out in space and Talos is reporting to him. Oh, wow. So does this already indicate to who the ne the big bad is going to be for this next Marvel phase? It, it is giving a hint that there's going to be the secret invasion storyline uh, where they're talking about scroll sleeper cells. Like we have the good scrolls in Talos. Now we're probably going to see some bad scrolls. What is a scroll? You're going to have to help me. I I'm not. Oh, uh, those are the shapeshifters from Captain Marvel. I did not see Captain Marvel, but. Oh, OK. They're shapeshifting aliens. Gotcha. Gotcha. OK, cool. Uh, I want to start off talking about Mysterio. So, Scott, can you give me a little bit of a background of what is, in terms of at least the original comics, what was the character like? And give me an idea of how they adapted it to this more digital era Mysterio. Yeah, so Mysterio was uh, basically a, a disgruntled special effects artist. He grew up with a love of film, especially sci-fi, anything in film that really pushed the boundaries of special effects and technology. Um, but he just didn't get the recognition that he thought he deserved. He wanted, uh, you know, more fame and more power. And so he created this character called Mysterio. And Mysterio's whole uh, grift was that he was trying to frame Spider-Man for these, like, crimes. And then Mysterio would show up and be like, Hey, everyone, it's me, Mysterio. I'm the real hero. Spider-Man's the villain. I will defeat Spider-Man. You will all worship me. 
sort of a thing. And so he uses special effects to mimic Spider-Man's powers and frame him for these crimes and also uses all these special effects and, and gadgets uh, to uh, fight Spider-Man. But I use fight very loosely. Uh, Mysterio and Spider-Man have a history of never really going toe-to-toe with one another um, because... Th- He's Quentin Beck's just a guy. Like he's just a man. He's just a dude. So if Spider-Man were to punch him, which often is the like one punch is usually what ends the fight between them, uh, then he just goes down instantly in one hit from Spider-Man. Spider-Man's true task when fighting Mysterio is to get past all of his illusions, get past all of his effects, and just hit him once, and Mysterio goes down. And that's pretty consistent across comics, cartoons, and video games, and even a little bit in this movie, too, where Spider-Man just sees him, and he just punches him in the little glass dome, and then that's pretty much it for that character. Um, So I like the idea that they've kind of updated Mysterio for this movie to still kind of, still work in a lot of um, effects, but it's kind of a mix of both special effects and visual effects. Uh, so you got some digital stuff with all the holograms and all the uh, all, you know the computer stuff, but there's also like real damage being done to these places that he's attacking, um, and it's up to Spider-Man to kind of determine what's real and what's not. And I just I love the idea that even this version of the character, uh, there's that great speech when it's finally revealed that it's all just a sham. Um, and he just gives us almost like an award acceptance speech. Like, hey, we did it. I'd like to thank this person. I'd like to thank this person for doing that. Um, which is interesting uh, to me because I feel like a lot of the times the special effects industry is is very like um, underappreciated. So it almost felt like this was this character, Quentin Beck, who has this history of VFX and special effects being like, this is finally our due. This is finally our uh, recognition. And, and it's uh, it, it, even just that character in the movie, all he wanted was to be recognized for his work and his mind and his genius. And so I love, I love the way they changed it and adapted it um, because it still kind of fits the core of the character that made me fall in love with the guy. Yeah, and I, I love how they go back to, you know, past MCU movies, like all the way back in Civil War, they had established this holographic technology. Uh, And so repurposing that for Mysterio is just a touch of inspiration. And that was the one that introduced Spider-Man too. So I'm wondering if they had this plan to use Mysterio all along, all the way back in Civil War. Well, was Jake Gyllenhaal, was Jake Gyllenhaal really in the background of that shot that they go back to in Civil War? I don't believe so. No, I can't imagine so. Okay. Cause I don't know. I actually was a. I was willing to buy it because yeah. I do think that Kevin Feige thinks way in advance, and he's a really, really smart guy. I really like what you were saying, Scott, about how the VFX industry is way underappreciated because they are vastly underappreciated. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the scene of him perfecting the illusion definitely evokes how it must be for a director of a Marvel movie to work with the VFX teams. And I was wondering how much of this, like, how much of this is deliberate. Mm-hmm. I I feel like it's probably. A lot. It, it, I mean, I think that there is a, a pretty meta element to this, and I've actually even seen a couple articles calling this out about how Mysterio is, in a sense, lampooning the way that we consume Marvel villains or Marvel movies as a whole. Hmm. He says he basically just says we could just make up a bullshit backstory and people will eat it up. He says something to that extent, yeah. perhaps even verbatim. Yeah, he's toasting uh, the uh, story creator uh, as part of that big uh, toast slash award speech. Uh, and he's not just saying that people will eat it up. He's saying that like the more ridiculous it is, the more people are willing to believe it. And that is the case with the MCU movies. Like 
at first, you know, we had Iron Man and he's fairly grounded. And a lot of articles are like, are people going to actually like Thor because it's straight up mythology or Guardians of the Galaxy? Is that too sci-fi? And every time they add a new level of ridiculous mysticism like Doctor Strange, people still love it. There's no shark that they can jump in the MCU. And you know what's even interesting about that too is, I, I like I said, I had friends who were very specifically like they knew who Mysterio was they knew that he was a villain but even with the trailers coming out uh for Far From Home where Mysterio was portrayed as a hero they were so willing to be like I don't know I think he's a hero in this one like I know what the original comics is but I'm willing to buy that he's a hero in this one because people will just buy it I guess yeah yeah well here's my thing I mean I liked the movie but did this not seem too similar to what they did with the Mandarin and Iron Man 3? On the one hand, it's like, it seems to me that even Marvel's attempt to make fun of themselves for being repetitive is also getting repetitive. Because that, I feel like they made this joke before, and I can't really speak for your theater, but my theater was pretty dead when the big reveal happened. And, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal was great. I think it was overall pretty clever, but... It wasn't I remember when I saw Iron Man 3 and it was revealed that the Mandarin was just some fake figurehead. People lost their shit and it was like super exciting and that could just be one theater to another. But part of part of this hit me like wait a second. How, you know, now they can't even freshly criticize themselves. The difference is though that was not true to the character of Mandarin. It's true for the character of Mysterio. Uh so I'm glad that they kept that. I actually had two friends that had no idea that Mysterio was a bad guy whatsoever, did not see the twist coming. And as far as Iron Man uh, 3, I think it's best left forgotten. I completely forgotten about that movie until you raised it. So seeing Mysterio as revealed movie. to be the villain, that just like, okay, yes, good. We knew so it was wait, coming. Are, are, it works still. Are you anti-Iron Man 3, Matthew? Very much so. Yeah, it's one of the worst. Really? Yeah. What do you think about that, Scott? Not to derail this, but I'm curious. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, I think the more I, I go back to Iron Man 3, the more that I, I appreciate it a little bit more for what it is. But I certainly had the exact same thought as you where I'm like, oh, but if they reveal him to be, you know, an actor this whole time, it's going to be the same thing they did with uh, with Mandarin. Uh, because, I mean, going to Captain Marvel... Um, one of the things that they could have done with like Captain Marvel was like, oh, who, you know, the shape shifting scrolls and like, oh, who can you trust? You know, your friend could be your enemy. But it's like, oh, they didn't do that because we already saw that in Winter Soldier. So it's just like, OK, so we get that Marvel is trying to keep things fresh and not go back and revisit things, even if it's like obvious and like, you know classic to the, these characters but then you know mysterio comes around it's like yeah mysterio we're gonna do the same thing we did in iron man 3 uh but like i am so i'm so enamored with mysterio as a character as a person um that it didn't bother me at all it's what i wanted and i'm glad that they that they stuck with it and i know that there will be people who will be like well they, we already saw this we already did this uh but to me it was just the perfect way to to portray that character do you think that the character is kind of shitting on the audience a little bit? There's one point that I, there's one part in the movie I want to point to. So this is him, quote, self-sacrificing to kill the fire elemental. So this is a weird moment that we're all on board with it. We see him say something along the lines of, I'm going to do now what I should have done last time. And then he covers himself in the green aura and then he dives right into the heart of the fire emblem. 
or the fi- not fire emblem the fire <laughs> elemental yeah. uh and then after that it's revealed that this and then after the reveal we think back to that moment and it's just some sort of ham-fisted show and so then we think back we say yeah maybe that was a little bit cheesy and over the top but isn't the joke on us then that we will as mysterio said we'll believe any bullshit crazy backstory as long as there's a nice spectacle behind it but part of the fun is suspending that disbelief you know i don't feel guilty for uh going into these movies and wanting to you know believe in this like secondary creation as tolkien would call it like you know having the fun of being part of that audience and you know well i'm not saying that it's critical to the point of you know waving the finger at us but i think it's just kind of a light playful criticism maybe yeah all right uh anything else you guys want to talk about mysterio because now i want to talk about great power great responsibility so i i don't think he's as good of a villain as last time with vulture like Mm. Hall, he's nowhere near an actor of the caliber of michael keaton uh Mm. and his motivation for revenge it's just not nearly as compelling as Adrian Toomes, he has his, like, contract stolen by Tony. Tony is, like, Tony's kind of a villain in Homecoming, where he's engaging in crony capitalism, and he's just destroying Toomes' life. Uh, you know, he had, like, a million-dollar contract that they just ripped up. Uh, and his whole, like, machinations, his plot, you know, uh, to have the world think he's going to be this, you know, great superhero, it's not as believable as Vulture just, okay, I'm going to become an arms dealer because that's the only choice I have left. Mm. But, you know, it is just so much more of a cinematic spectacle seeing Mysterio on screen than Vulture. And like on as a script, it doesn't work as well. But actually seeing it on screen, it's a lot more fun watching him. So I think that makes up. And, and it's fitting that a character who is all about special effects is kind of salvaged solely due to the use of those special effects on in the movie. <laughs> yeah, to- there's that whole like nightmare sequence where he's just giving Peter all of these different hallucinations and, and illusions and and uh all of uh, so much of that harkens back to this like scenes from the Spider-Man 2 video game which was like the thing that got me into Mysterio that I was just like so giddy just being like oh all the different like mirror clones of Spider-Man attacking him that's like that when you play it in that one level or like oh all these like you know the statue to Mysterio he does that to the Statue of Liberty in the game like I don't know there was so much of it where I'm like ah this is exactly what I wanted it's so nice so I think yeah it made up for it for me I just I had so much fun watching him yeah, it definitely had a video game feel in a very good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the Scarecrow levels in the Arkham series, they kind of yeah. like harken back to. Oh, for sure. You know, something you said, Matthew, made me remember something else about the character that I wish was fleshed out more. But I don't know. When I say I wish it, it's really just for my taste because I think that the Marvel writers probably made the smarter choice to not do what I want and just keep things moving. But that is that his final line is people need something to believe in and these days they'll believe in anything. I just wish... We saw, because when I was talking about Endgame in the Endgame podcast, I talked about how I'd really like to see more of the what society looks like during during the stage of the blip. Like, other than the fact that people are just kind of depressed and that there are these memorial sites and everything, I wanted to see how it's probably destabilized entire regions. I wanted to see kind of what the sociopolitical landscape looked like. And similarly, I want to know, I guess I, I would like to see 
people clamoring for that symbol, clamoring for that hope. And we see a little bit of it when Spider-Man is being interviewed and he's like, are you going to be the next Iron Man? But I don't know. It seems like Mysterio was addressing some sort of deep despair that society required that we didn't really see a lot of evidence of. But again, you got to keep the movie moving. And so I think it's good that they didn't add a slow scene to that. But it's something that was in the back of my mind that I wanted explored a little bit more. Just because I think it's such an interesting line. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And I think for me, like I, like I was saying earlier about this idea of truth and like what can you believe, I think was very present throughout the movie. Uh, even to the point where like to defeat uh, Mysterio, he had to not rely, Spider-Man had to not rely on his... Uh, sight and his hearing he had to rely on this other sense that he had to um, you know practice it was a skill that he had to hone into and to me that was almost like if I want to make spider sense sound boring that was almost just like uh, like using critical thinking to figure out what's really true sort of a thing it's not something that Mm. Peter is tapped into the whole movie in fact we see that he is uh, fails constantly at it um, but when he actually actively tries to seek out what's true uh, and not just rely on what he sees in front of him, then he finally can defeat the villain. And the villain, of course, was uh, shot by his own drone, kind of foiled by his own lies there. Uh, so mm. I think there's a lot of that theme throughout the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to talk about that. Uh, first, I'd like to talk about great power, great responsibility. So I think actually one of my favorite things about these movies is how they all play with the essential Spider-Man theme of with great power comes great responsibility without anyone ever having to say it. So in the previous movie, it was largely, is Peter responsible enough to wield great power? This is why Stark takes the suit away until he proves himself responsible enough. And I like how in this one, it's a continuation in that in this one, he has given up the responsibility of power with the Edith classes, but that he obviously messes up by giving it to Mysterio. And uh, as Matthew said earlier, we see echoes of the Tobey Maguire franchise here and that Peter is also torn between his responsibility as Spider-Man and pursuing a relationship with MJ. And uh, there's a whole nother level to this with people are thrusting the great responsibility of him being the next Iron Man on him. And I really like the moment in the movie where when he's customizing his own suit for the third act, You know, he's basically using the technology and Happy's looking on him as if to say, like, wow, he's really reminding me of Tony right now. Mm -hmm. That was such a sweet moment. Yeah, but I, do you guys have anything on that? Uh, Not anything more than I said already uh, as far as, yeah, I I think that's what makes Spider-Man such a tragic character. Because, you know, he really is giving up something like, okay, I've wanted to be a superhero all my life. Like, in second grade, back when our teacher asked, like, us to write, like, a one paragraph essay on what we want to be when we grow up. I said, I want to be Superman. Like I thought that was a real possibility of just like being a superhero flying around. And I always read Spider-Man comics and Superman comics thinking like, Hey, you know, I could be that responsible if I only had that power. And the great Spider-Man movies like this one make me remember, Oh yeah. Like, huh? Maybe it's not worth the trade off there. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think also with those glasses and, and like him passing them up, I feel like Peter has like this really big sense of like imposter syndrome where like, you know, especially when they're like, well, we need you. And it's like, well, why don't you call all these other heroes? And they're like, no, you're I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. You've been to space. Like, come on, man. Like, you, you're great. Uh, and even when with the Edith glasses, when uh, I guess the note said like for the next Iron Man, uh, Peter is like, well, that... I guess what Tony really meant was that I have to find the next Iron Man. Like, it's not me. Surely it's not me. I, not Peter Parker. I have to find the next person. And sure enough, it's this person that I met, you know, like two days ago. Um, so I think Peter is almost like seeing all of this, like, responsibility that he that is in some ways being put on him by all these other people who are like, you're going to be the next Iron Man. You're going to be the next Iron Man. Uh, but it's also just even like uh, uh, exaggerated by himself a little bit. Um, and he, he kind of, um, there are definitely moments of a lot of moments of doubt in this movie where he just wants to pass everything off and be like, look, I don't want to be Spider-Man. I just want to go hang out with my friends. You know, you take these glasses. I don't want them. It's too much power for me. Sort of a thing. And I think, uh, yeah, I, there's a lot of moments like that throughout the movie. And, and finally, he just kind of uh, has this moment where it's like, maybe I'm not going to be the next Iron Man. Maybe I'm just going to be the first Peter Parker, the first Spider-Man. And, and yeah. I also love that he's not just shirking responsibility. He's shown as actively irresponsible. Like, yeah. he gets the glasses, and the first thing he does, he almost kills his entire yeah. class. <laughs> so good. Yeah. I, it really is great how these movies amplify the power responsibility thing because it used to be that just being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man was too much responsibility or potentially too much responsibility for Peter. But now it's being the universe, friendly universe Spider-Man or something. Why do you guys think – I mean I know we're getting to, into speculation for the next movie. But why do you think that the – what is it? The scroll that be, pretended to be Nick Fury chose Peter for this mission? Uh the real Nick Fury uh, was the one that actually told uh, Talos, oh, like, here, you got to give these glasses to him. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And that was apparently Tony's real wish. Like, I think uh, it wasn't just like that they got the glasses and decided to give it to Spider-Man. I think Tony let that in his will to Spider-Man. But the, 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 Nick Fury, the Nick Fury that was constantly calling him and texting him and saying, hey, you got to get in on this elemental shit. That was the imposter, right? Correct, yeah. So why did they choose Peter, do you think? Oh, for the mission of taking down the elementals? Yeah. I mean, who else is there uh, if Thor is off-world and Captain Marvel is out in space? Well, like, what about the new Captain America? Good call. I mean, Th Falcon, you know, he can fly and whatnot, but uh, Peter Parker might actually be, other than maybe Doctor Strange, like the most powerful MCU hero, like that's Earthbound still. Mm. yeah it, it could also just be like this would be a thing that would be filled in by the i guess they're doing the disney plus show with falcon and bucky so maybe they're just going and doing their own mission during this time i'm not entirely sure maybe it is simply because peter has access to edith and they're just like well this seems like a big powerful world threat and spider-man is the only one who can use this so we'll get him on board see if he can help out Ultimately, I think it's because the movie needed to happen. Yeah, because that oh, was a spider uh, Yeah, of why. course. <laughs> but we all know that Kevin Feige is really good at if it's not motivated in this particular installment, he'll figure out a way to make all the pieces fit in mm -hmm. further installments. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, yeah. So we'll we'll get an answer. We'll figure. Eventually. Yeah, we'll figure it out. 
All right. Um, yeah. So let's talk about what Scott brought up about illusions and deception. I think this is definitely a big theme in the movie, and it's really cleverly implemented. So there's deception happening on a number of levels in this movie. So there's one happy pretending to not be dating May, and then at the end, it's like the last lines of the movie mm-hmm. where he says, you know, there's a lot of deception been going on here, but now I just want to make everything clear. I'm dating your aunt or whatever. Yeah. Um there's also MJ pretending to only be interested in Peter because she thinks he's Spider-Man. Of course, Mysterio, that whole thing. And then there's even Spider-Man having to wear the fake Spider-Man suit so his classmates don't figure it out. Yeah, um, yeah I don't think there's any really great meaning here, but I think it's just a sign of a really well-put-together script when they're able to take an essential theme that is tied to one of the characters and just kind of sprinkle it throughout the story. I mean, yeah, these movies are fucking solidly written. And, and another instance of that is where they're talking about uh, how this guy, like, got powers to become a water monster. And they're reading that on BuzzFeed. And they specifically say, hey, you really cannot believe everything you read online. Right. So it's just getting into uh, this idea of that there's so much, you know, I hate the phrase, but so much fake news out there that right. we nice. really can't trust, you know, even the things we see. Like, mm. deep fakes, you know, are a thing where we can watch a video and... We don't know if the video is doctored or authentic or whatnot. Yeah. And of course, uh, the use of J. Jonah Jameson uh, at the end to uh, like Mysterio's whole, whole video was clearly like um, mm. faked and doctored to make Spider-Man look like the enemy. And uh, J. Jonah Jameson, especially in the uh, Spider-Man uh, PS4 video game, I'm mentioning a lot of Spider-Man video games. I promise I play more than that. But um, he, uh, <laughs> he, 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 uh, is very much this like Alex Jones esque kind of character yeah. in that game. I played that game um, and kind of seeing him here, where it's not the Daily Bugle is not necessarily a newspaper. It is uh, it, like an online organization because they call it like the Daily Bugle dot net. Um, so I think that is only kind of continuing that uh, that idea of Jameson in that role. And of course, another area of deception is at the very end when Nick Fury and Maria Hiller actually scrolls the whole time. So oh, yeah, just a lot of, of that throughout the movie. All right. So you brought up Jameson and I got to ask, I think I already know the answer to this, but just posing it to you guys are more engaged with the MCU than me. But the fact that it's the same actor from the Tobey Maguire era, is this just a cross franchise wink or is this setting up some sort of cross universe thing? Because if we know that there's any property that's all about multiverses, it's Spider-Man. Oh, and that's another question I have for you guys. Are we meant to believe that this movie is is establishing that there is a multiverse proper in the MCU, or was that just more of Mysterio's BS? Well, Doctor Strange already established that there is a multiverse. Okay. Uh, and I think when they do establish a multiverse and not just like weird dimensions like the one that, uh, you know, the bad guy from Doctor Strange was in, uh, but also parallels of all the heroes themselves, like, you know, a Spider-Man of Earth, 617 and 618 and all that uh eventually that's where they're going to get the name 616 because uh jake gyllenhaal's character here dropped that idea i don't think that you know this movie is necessarily setting up a multiverse but i do think that they want this to happen like my favorite spider-man story of all time is spider-verse uh the the comic not the movie although that was great too and i know Toby uh, McGuire has also talked about like, hey, I would love to be in a crossover Spider-Verse movie. Is it going to happen? 
I don't know, but I would love for it to. It would be so but do good, th- for sure. But do you think the casting was deliberately opening the door to that, or do you think it was more just a wink? No, I think it's you can't have any other actor yeah. playing that character. It's like trying to cast <laughs> someone else as Nick Fury. Only Samuel L. Jackson can be that character. <laughs> they cast him in the comics before they ever cast mm-hmm. him on screen. In uh, Ultimates number four, they actually have Nick Fury talking about who they would have play him if there's ever a... Uh, Avengers movie Mm -hmm. and he says no one else could ever play me but Samuel L. Jackson Mm -hmm. that was like five or six years before they ever started the MCU oh no wait a second who plays Jameson in the Andrew Garfield era no one oh there isn't one Mm -hmm. that's right yeah he only shows up via like a text or two when Peter is trying to sell pictures or something like that but that is it they they knew that they couldn't get anyone else for the role and uh, because who else can you get? There's no one that is that perfect. Um, yeah. And so bringing him back, I think, was just like, a, all right, we hear you. There's no one else who could fill this role. He's perfect. I, I would have loved as the very end stinger, just him saying, somebody get me pictures of Spider-Man. Because that has become <laughs> like the ultimate meme online. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Do you think that in the next Spider-Man movie with Jameson that he'll actually use deep fakes proper? Like that's there instead of it being pictures because pictures are too easily photoshopped these days, he's actually going to be using deep fakes. Potentially. Yeah. Like this is actually exciting for me because I always thought that if we're get, they're going to do another cinematic Riddler, I want to give Jim Carrey another chance. Oh yeah. Yeah, like yeah, I think you're right. Just bring back people who who had uh, who were right for the role but didn't have, like, the best material, you know? I like that. Yeah. Good. As far as jo- uh, J. Jonah Jameson actually doctoring uh, video and photos, I don't think that he is a liar, though. I think he genuinely believes that Spider-Man is a villain and that he's genuinely telling the truth. Yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. misinterpreting reality, not, like, I guess uh, I meant somebody things. somebody giving him deep fakes. I didn't mean him producing them himself. Right. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it would be certainly in his character to readily believe anything that proves Spider-Man is a villain. So you would have to present him with so much, ev- like a mountain of evidence to prove that Spider-Man is a hero. But you come to him with like one doctored video that's like, oh, here's Spider-Man being a, a jerk. And it's like, I knew it. Spider-Man is evil. He's a menace. It would be a great storyline for Spider-Man to finally prove himself the hero in J. Jonah Jameson's eyes. Like, that's one of the best parts of the PS4 uh, video game where Jonah Jameson actually comes around and saying, you know what, I was wrong about Spider-Man in this one uh, occasion. Like, he is being a hero here. Mm. Yeah. So uh, last thing I want to talk about, unless you guys want to bring up anything else, is just the updated lore, what they now have it the whole five-year period as being blipped. What did you guys think of that, and did that make you recontextualize anything? I think they really just played lip service to it. They really did not explore the truly dystopian aspects. Like, yeah, they said, hey, there's a lot of homeless people now. You saw that they're doing charity for the homeless shelter. Then they go romping around Europe, and you don't see any evidence that the world has been changed by a lack of you know people or now overpopulation with everyone back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just they talked about it at the beginning saying, yeah, this is a thing that happened. And then they completely moved on, which they had a other story to tell. Uh, so I don't blame them necessarily, but it doesn't feel like that's the world they're living in. Yeah, I, I think the way that they played it off at the start of the movie was 
you know, very much so not like a let's really explore how this it was. It was very just like a comedic look. We know this happened and we know we have to explain why all of our actors are the same age and and, you know, still in high school. The only I guess the only thing that they really did uh, was that new character, the new kid who was like kind of going after MJ. Brad. Brad. Yeah, that's right. So like he he was like, you know, he stayed around and aged five years. And that was like the only real thing that they that the blip kind of affected this movie with. Um, I mean, other than like trying to also explain Mysterio's existence, his whole like, oh, the blip caused a snap or the snap caused a a hole in the multiverse or whatever. But yeah, I think I think for the the writers and everything, they're just thinking let's just get it out of the way because we have to address it and let's do it in a really funny kind of comedic way. And then let's just move on and tell the story that we want to, that we want to tell. Yeah. I think it's the right move. Mm-hmm. What, what did you guys think about the subplot with Peter's best friend and the blonde girl? Because Betty Brant. Peter, so Peter, I loved it. it. It's super bad. You know, it's where, where you have Vogel and Evan and Seth and they're coming up with these elaborate plans to like meet girls because they don't have confidence. And it's so nostalgic of how, I know at least me, I don't know about you guys, that's what high school was really like. <laughs> and it's the best type of cringe humor because you're cringing at yourself and who you were. And you know, Peter Parker, you know, he grew up as a geek, you know, bespectacled, and he's one of the smartest guys on the planet. He's a superhero. As soon as he gains a little bit of self confidence and comes into his own, like he is going to be getting, like, you know, supermodel girlfriends like Mary Jane from the comics. Like he is just going to be this world Superman. But for now, he is still in that awkward teenager phase. And it is just such a fun trip watching them. And seeing his best friend screw him over like, oh, we're going to be bachelors in Europe. And then as soon as they get off the flight, oh, yeah, no, I got a girlfriend. You're going to be the third wheel now. That... That brings back memories. That was. So, I think. I think Ned is one of the funniest characters in the MCU. I think he's just every scene that he's in is just brilliant, and I loved seeing his whole his whole arc with Betty and uh, that whole romance, and seeing it flourish on the on the plane ride there, and then uh, you know melt away on the plane ride back as they're just like you know what, men and women they grow apart, but you know they've always we could still be friends. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was such a, like a kid trying to be an adult sort of a thing. It was very funny. Cool. Uh, anything else you guys want to bring up before we go into the mailbag? No, I think I'm good. I think I said everything I want to say other than have I mentioned how much I love Mysterio? Cause that's a big part of me <laughs> and my personality. Well, I'm glad that it fulfilled what you were expecting. That's pretty special. It is. I'm very excited. Like I said, I'm seeing it again tonight. So woo. The one, the one other thing I would say is I really don't like the new direction that they have for uh, the MJ character, where they deliberately make her weird, which I, I don't see what Peter sees in that. Like I truly love Mary Jane Watson from the comics, where she is this like self-assured mm-hmm. party girl who Peter cannot keep up with, and you know she has that perfect, perfect opening in the very first issue you see her as, face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot. And that's the girl I want to see Peter with. Uh, and so this, you know, girl that is obsessed with like, you know, the Black Dahlia and murders and, you know, Bo and just like trying to be as weird as possible. I'm like, really? That's who you're going for, Peter? Yeah, she's really? like the stand in for the, quote, freak girl in The Breakfast Club, at least in the last movie. Yeah, I've seen uh, that comparison made and it's apt. Yeah. I will say one other thing uh, is that I really liked how this movie had a couple different moments of 
Peter actually showing how brilliant that he is. Because I feel like for uh, for a lot of his appearances in the MCU, he like you know he shows up, he's Spider Man, that's great. But I love Peter when he is this, like this brilliant inventor and also just this brilliant mind when he's talking when he's like kind of geeking out about the existence of multiverses and like he's uh you know everyone kind of stops and sees how much he's rambling or or when he's upgrading his gear and building his new suit and he's like you know trying to upgrade things and like yeah can we move this to this many watts and whatever and so seeing peter uh actually show off his genius i think is uh something that uh some of the other movies some of the other spider-man movies haven't done too too much of so i'm I'm happy that that's sticking around in the mcu that actually bothered me where he's geeking out about the existence of the multiverse because he interprets it incorrectly if there are multiple earths that does not infer uh an eternal inflation if there's internal eh, eternal inflation that means that all these uh parallel universes that, you know, where they have deep, uh, where they're no longer inflating in that little bubble. There's so many trillions of light years away that you cannot physically get to them. Uh, for a multiverse in which you can actually cross over, uh, it has to be some other interpretation of the multiverse, you know, like, uh, in the DC comics where it's just, uh, harmonics, uh, frequencies like vibrating at different frequencies uh but they're all taking up the same space in eternal inflation they're actually within like the same universe really it's just they're bubbles within that universe that are trillions and quadrillions of light years apart and you just cannot get to them so for mysterio to be from another earth it does not signify that and peter is wrong and he's showing that he is not a genius there it bothered me i don't think he's showing that he's not a genius i think he's showing that he's still a kid with a lot to learn but he still still has a lot more knowledge than i did when i was that age yeah okay i'll I'll give him that yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right uh we're gonna go into the mailbag if you want to send us a voicemail it's 213-534-8807 or send us an email at movies at wisecrack.co we actually got an email from Jacob about Spider-Man Far From Home. So it's going to start with that. So he says, hey, guys, I'm a big fan of the Show Me the Meaning podcast. I was just hoping if I could ask you guys if you were planning on covering Spider-Man Far From Home. An interesting idea came to me watching the movie, which is making an audience care when the stakes aren't real. Thanks again. So I'm, I think I'm a little confused as to what he's pointing to here because and and this was something that i asked myself too so we're meant to believe that the illusions that mysterio is conjuring with the drones are fake but there are some drones that are actually shooting out bullets that are actually destroying these monuments is is that the logic yeah yeah the damage is real but the 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 illusions these monsters are fake right so the stakes are real they're just not to the extent of uh what Mysterio is having people believe. It's not an Avengers-level threat, but, you know, there's still going to be lots of death and destruction, if not actually destroying the entire world. Right. Yeah. All right, that's what I assumed. So we got an email from Mike. He says, Hi, guys. I can't help but feel that Toy Story 4 is fundamentally all about Pixar having to deal with the exit of John Lasseter. John was the leader of the team from the beginning and was central to most of the things they did. He nurtured talent and brought them through the ranks and made them believe how important they are, and importantly, helping them find their inner voice. Finding inner voice seems to be running theme with all the voice box scenes in the movie, and this has been linked with all the filmmakers he helped. 
There's also a very clear everything will be all right message to leaving a group of people you've been with through thick and thin, and they are very worried about life without their leader. Anyway, what do you think? Love the show. So I did not know that he was leaving. That is interesting. Oh, he's, uh, the comparison he's gone. I he, saw. He, he, he was with uh, uh, he was like disgraced for uh, inappropriate stuff that he did. Oh, I don't tend to follow a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Uh, the comparison that I was seeing in Toy Story Four, or not, I don't think it was deliberate, but I kind of saw Woody as like Captain America. Woody is the hero that you know can't stop being the hero like he has a duty to do and he is going to see that through and the end of the movie it's sort of like hey you finished everything you had to finish like now you get to go live your own life and find your own happiness like you've done your duty here's your reward like it's not about i i heard uh the show me the meaning on this one uh and you guys were saying that he's kind of like shirking that duty i kind of saw it as exactly the opposite of like you did everything that anyone was asking you to and more. You went above and beyond. Like, please go find a life for yourself. You deserve this. And it's just like the uh, final of Captain America in Endgame. Like, he deserved finally getting a piece of happiness for himself. Yeah, I guess I just don't really know if Woody is really happiest when he's with Bo Peep or living a free life or if he is happiest when he's with a kid. The Woody that I know, having seen these four movies, seems like it would be better if, well, if Bonnie's tired of him, then he'd probably be happiest with a new kid. But then again, if we live in a world where cowboy toys just aren't cool anymore and kids just aren't interested, then I guess the next best thing is to live your own life. Well, I think Woody's happiest when he's helping kids and i think that's what he sticks around to do at the carnival is to give kids these toys to make them happier uh sure. so i think that's kind of what his new role is is if i can't if i can't make people happy myself which i think throughout the movie we see every time that he is around bonnie does not pick him up um you know when he's when he's with Forky, Bonnie immediately goes for Forky. When he's in the closet at the beginning, Bonnie goes for just about everyone except Woody. Uh, so I think he realizes that if he himself can't make you know kids happy, then he will instead um, kind of pair kids with toys up, kind of being like, you know, it's my job to now make all of these kids happy with all of these other toys and giving everyone these duties and responsibilities to help out these children. So I think I think that makes him happy. Uh, even if it's not him doing anything. Yeah, I, I think he's so selfless that he doesn't ask what makes him happy. Yeah. He just knows he has the power to, you know, serve these kids. So he is naturally responsible enough to do that. You know, he doesn't struggle with power and responsibility. He is just responsible. And so finally in the film, you know, someone asking him, like, what's going to make him happy? I think it is being with Bo Peep. And mm. yeah. yeah, I think I think a lot of his ego kind of falls away it's it's no longer like bonnie it's like bonnie needs me uh or like these kids need me these toys need me it's just more just you know bonnie needs so i will do whatever she needs to get her or like these toys need so i will do whatever i can to make sure that everyone is happy and it, it's just every his whole ego kind of drops away when he realizes that he is not the favorite toy anymore and what is his role now 
Yeah. All right, we got one more from Danielle. Danielle says, I love the Toy Story series, but as you guys said several times, this one didn't really feel like it fit. When I immediately got out of the theater and posted, I said I loved it, of course, but it felt different. It was a Woody movie, not a Toy Story movie. Toy Story is about the ensemble. It's about Woody and Buzz and Jesse and Bullseye and Ham and Slink and Rex and the Potato Heads. This was legit all about Woody, and that felt wrong after the perfect finale for the entire family that we got out of three. Yes, in two, we were introduced... Jesse and Bullseye and Stinky Pete and Zerg and Barbie. And then in three, we were introduced to all of Bonnie's toys, plus all the daycare toys, but we kept our cast. This one just ignored them, and that felt like a disservice to all those characters as well as their actors. She also notes, and... The amount of moving they did around humans was ridiculous. Everyone knows the whole Andy's coming thing is classic Toy Story. That's why it was so impactful in the first movie when Woody talked to Sid. In all the movies, they have close calls and near misses, sure, but this was just too damn much. What do you guys think about, uh, well, both points? Usually I don't focus too much on column plot holes or inconsistencies in logic, but Mm -hmm. this one definitely popped into my mind a couple times during the movie. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest letdown of this movie uh, was exactly the same thing uh, where I wish they focused more on the original cast, which all just kind of felt left behind in the trailer. Um, You know, I think Rex had like one or two really good lines. Uh, The Potato Heads really didn't do all that much. Um, Ham had like one funny line at the beginning. Yeah, I I wish that they had focused more on the on the OG cast. Uh, That being said, I love all the new characters they introduced. I love Duke Kaboom, uh, Bunny and Ducky. uh, Yeah, the Key and Peele toys were so funny. So, so, so funny. But yeah, it did totally feel like almost a a Woody spinoff in a way where it, it was mostly focused on him with these new characters and not a whole lot. Like when at the end of the movie, when Woody gives his sheriff's badge to Jesse, uh, I really wish we had seen Jesse do a ton more to like be the leader of the group. She kind of did one thing with the flat tire. um, But I wish that she had stepped up and even like gone with buzz to go help, um, to go help find Woody and, and everything that way when the badge was passed and it was like, you're the new sheriff now, it if, would have felt more like, yes, she actually is the leader of uh, of this whole gang now. But, yeah. As a cowboy myself, I am not going to complain that they're putting all the focus <laughs> on the cowboy. I'll, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> all right. You know, that actually made me ask one, want to ask one more question about Spider-Man Far From Home. And when we're talking about these logical inconsistencies or jumps in logic, did you guys feel like Aunt May wasn't really that concerned about Peter at all to the point where she didn't even she just wasn't freaking out. She was like, oh, I, he's he'll be fine. Yeah, I think I, I think I don't know. She knows that he has all these powers and, and all these technologically advanced suits and gadgets. So maybe that helps put her mind at ease, but you would think that like, even still uh, when you see these giant threats on the news and you don't know that they're all, you know, holograms and even still the damage and destruction is real. You would think that at the end of it should just be like, Oh my goodness. I can't believe you're, I'm so glad you're okay. But she was like, Oh, Hey, you're back. Cool. Let's go. Let's let's go hang out. Yeah. I, I think the more strange thing from her was, you know, publicly associating herself with Spider-Man uh, very visibly at the beginning of the film. Like, if you're trying to preserve his secret identity, why, you know, be in pictures with him and up on stage with him? Like, why associate at all? That's where I was 
questioning her decisions. Yeah, and why is it her? What does she do? What What is her job? Uh, she she runs that whole shelter, right? The homeless shelter yeah. for the people that I were uh, snapped out. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense then. And oh, so, and that's also kind of yeah. what May is doing in the Spider-Man video game. Yeah, pretty much. And and that that's why I was kind of okay with uh, with Spider-Man making an appearance there because he does want this reputation of being like the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. So it is kind of like expected that he would go to an event like this that would kind of help out the community. Uh, and just so happens that it's run by Aunt May. So I, I was more fine with that. These kids, you know, they're just seemingly not traumatized by the fact that seemingly every couple of months they are living through a near extinction event. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. They get used to it. Yeah. It's yeah. like uh, <laughs> it's the shifting baseline syndrome where like things that you were born into are just totally normal to you. And I think that these kids are young enough that they're just like, yeah, you know what? This is this is how the world is. Oh, well. Maybe we'll get a Disney Plus show that's just the therapy sessions of all of the supporting cast members of all these movies. I would love that, <laughs> genuinely. <laughs> when I was in high school, we had a uh, bomb threat every single Thursday for like eight weeks straight to the point where we just started like wearing our jackets to homeroom knowing that we were just going to be outside in the stadium while they looked for a bomb. Like You just adapt and get used to it and it becomes passe. Like I get how the, these kids feel, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about the movie Eighth Grade a couple podcasts ago, and they have this scene, you know, the whole movie takes place in a middle school, and they had this scene where all the children are in the hallways, and they're prepping for, or they're doing like a simulated school shooter event so that they'll be prepared if anything like that ever happens, and that to me just seemed like, wow, we I didn't do that when I was in middle school. Is this a joke? Is this like some sort of wink and a nod to how common these things have been? Or is this something that people really go through? And then I learned that this is something that is done and adopted pretty universally among middle schools and high schools today. And I was like, damn, I wonder what the fucking Marvel kid drills are. <laughs> oh, my God. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. But I want to cut it off. So, uh Scott, tell me, let's tell us a little bit about NerdSync. Yeah, so NerdSync is a YouTube channel uh, where I use comics and superheroes to teach about real-world history, science, philosophy, culture, and art. Uh, I made two uh, videos recently about Spider-Man, so if you're in a Spider-Man mood, uh, go check them out. The first one is about how Mysterio has impacted my life in such a, a big way, and uh, the latest one is looking at Spider-Man's very first comic book and analyzing it. Uh, artistically to show that, you know, comics art is art and uh, kind of giving the uh, the artists and writers their due. Uh, so if you are, yeah, if you, if you like some good Spider-Man videos, go check it out. I really recommend Scott's video on Superman and the bomb. It's a really long video, but a really well-researched video. Thank you so much. I had a ton of fun making that one from the, uh, the makeup and the effects and everything. I'm so glad you liked it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And Matthew, where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matt J. Therio. That's T-H-E-R-I-A-U-L-T. I'm also the uh, writer for HubCityReview.com. And I recently started my own podcast, the Super Sexy Podcast, where we speculate as to the sex life of superheroes. Our Spider-Man episode is going to be going up shortly. Oh, boy. That sounds amazing. I bet you that's probably going to be <laughs> yeah. one Do of not the- listen to the first episode. Uh, we uploaded it, and you can only hear my voice, not my co-host, which was not evident in editing. <laughs> oh, no. So it's a learning process. All right. 
Cool. Well, that sounds super interesting. Thanks for listening, guys. I think next week we're going to do Midsummer. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. I saw it this weekend. It was pretty awesome. But until then, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys. Peace.